Hi, I'm Melinda Cusera, your indie fantasy author, and today Nathan Hartle is joining me to talk about his epic fantasy book, Summoning and Sacrifice. So let's get into it. Let's. I've got questions already. Welcome, Nathan. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Summoning and Sacrifice. Um, well, I'm going to read the blurb because I think I said it best. Go ahead. Um, a hunted woman, a missing god, the adventure of a lifetime. All that Shada desires is peace and freedom. What she has is fear and hunger. She's a servant on the run from her cruel master who's determined to lock her away. Then comes a chance at a new life. Alone in the vast, cruel city of Ronia, she meets the lady. This enigmatic spirit makes her an offer. Shada can accept her dismal lot or undertake a quest to find Ronia's vanished god. For the gods disappeared without a trace in the long ago age of legend, leaving the worlds of humans to chaos and war. Without its god, Ronia's once mighty empire is crumbling toward an abyss. To save their people, Shada and her ragtag companions will journey to the ends of the universe, but first they must escape Ronia alive. Many in this city of blades, poison, and shadow need to stop them at all costs. If they fail, slavery or death await them, and their world will fall into darkness. Oh, wow. I mean, so there's, some, there's some serious stakes there. They, yeah. <laughs> they, can't, they can't not do the thing. They, they can't yeah. not find this god or, you know, some serious... Pretty serious good. things are going down. All right, let's let's meet the characters. Let's go into an excerpt, and then we'll talk about everything you just mentioned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Let me... Um, sure. Pull this in. Okay, chapter one. Shada pulled the door open just enough to slip quietly through the entrance, as if hoping the door itself might overlook the disturbance. Escaping the midday sun into the damp breath of the temple's interior left her temporarily blind, waiting for the rainbow of spots before her eyes to dissolve in the dim candlelight. Before entering, she had dropped a coin into the tray of this temple's guardian, a sightless beggar in a dark cloak grayed with dirt. The tray was otherwise empty, a good sign that the temple was deserted. Now, as the gloom receded into visible forms, she saw no hint of life. She walked toward the front of the chamber, pausing at the edge of the floor-spanning carpet to leave her shoes behind. Shadows groped from alcoves on either side, where sacks of flour and donated goods waited for those needier than she yet was. She stopped in front of the great altar and sank to her knees. The rug here was threadbare and full of holes, worn and stained by centuries of knees and of tears. The vaulted ceiling curved down to merge with the wall behind the altar. Spanning that surface were carvings too intricate to discern in the flickering light. Sculptures of beasts and spirits sprang from wall and ceiling, reaching for the viewer with bared claws and inscrutable eyes. The dazzling activity surrounded an empty space behind the altar, a vertical stretch of flat, blank stone. Shada crossed her arms over her chest, placing a palm on each shoulder, and bent over, touching her forehead to the rug. Feeling awkward in the unfamiliar pose, she closed her eyes, reached into the tempest that was her mind, and searched for her remorse. First, she would reflect on her sins. Later, she must find a priest and confess them. Her decisions over the last few hours gave her much to regret, fleeing Bridgeby's house most of all. She had no prospects for more work, but regret was a selfish, material emotion. Unhappily, she found little actual guilt inside herself, and without that, she could offer nothing to the goddess. Hadn't she come here for more than a place to hide? She must stay out of sight either way. Bridgeby's men might search for her all afternoon. Unable to focus on her prayer, she spoke it aloud. Well, here I am. Speaking casually in prayer was unusual, but it relaxed her. I'm really lost now. I've got no job and nothing put away. I suppose you've heard this before. 
Describing her predicament aloud made it real. Her stomach lurched like a runaway wagon. She pressed her face against the rug. Tell me what to do. Absorbed in her prayer, she did not hear the man until he stood behind her. He growled. It was guttural, a sound a throat makes before the tongue carves it into words. She had jumped up and put several paces between herself and that sound before its echo died away. When she saw the stranger, she almost ran. She saw immediately that he was from off-planet, and he was one of the changed at that. Not in the most sunken bowels of Undertown had she come face to face with someone so profoundly altered. He dwarfed her in every way. The leather armor that covered his torso and hung in strips from his waist could have encompassed her several times over. His belt held a scabbard and a holster, but both were empty. That meant he had surrendered his weapons to the Guardian. It was an encouraging thought, and she hung onto it dearly. But it was not his garments that held her attention. Shada was consumed by the sight of his face, which was that of a dog. Not of a domesticated dog, one of the small, delicate things that rode in the seats of expensive carriages in the city's parks. This was a visage like a wild creature from the mountains, wreathed in brown fur and long in snout, with eyes undulled by proximity to society. Her mouth struggled to form words and her mind to form thoughts. She fought angrily to pull herself together. She pinched the sides of her skirt and dipped formally. Good afternoon to you, sir. May I help you? In her ears, the beating of her heart nearly drowned out her voice. The stranger acknowledged her by repeating his first noise. It was an urgent sound, full of meaning, but completely inscrutable. She could read nothing in his face or posture. He simply towered over her like a battlement. Whatever far-off world was home to his branch of humanity, it must have been terrifying. Unlike many others, he seemed unbothered by the dark, decorative markings that covered Shada's face. Since he had done nothing overtly threatening, she decided it was safe to leave. Well, I'm afraid I must be on my way. She began walking, tracing a long circle around him and toward the door. Good day to you. His grunt was sharp and forceful, a command. Shada froze. Her veneer of calm threatened to crumble as every bit of her body rebelled. She had no reply. She did not know whether to face him or run, just like with Bridgeby. But she would not fall apart in front of him. Struggling to keep the tremor out of her voice, she turned to face the stranger. Sir, I wish I could help you, but your speech is unfamiliar to me. I know little of off-world languages. A temple priest should be along soon, and he... He cut through her words with another grunt. The volume and depth of his voice silenced her. He held forward a metal box, oblong and standing upright like a lantern. His mighty arm and armor had hidden it until now. He held it low at the level of her chest as if presenting it to her. The box's design was as unfamiliar as the man who possessed it. It caught the candlelight with a glint like steel. Its panels met to form odd lines and curves that both attracted and repulsed the eye. On the side facing her was a door with a small handle. The man reached down, took the handle between two fingers, and pulled the door open. A storm filled the box. Shada might have been looking down on a chaotic gray sea. The churning almost mass shimmered in the temple's dim light. Shada's mouth hung open. She forgot to breathe. Dear goddess, what is that? The storm surface cohered into a shape roughly like a human face. Cavities that might be eyes hung above a nose-shaped ridge and two swells like lips. Shada watched, numb. It was all too much and too strange. She asked the face, who are you? Her heart jumped as the storm billowed out of the box. It reached her in an instant and swirled around her in a great cloud. Her skin tingled as if exposed to blowing sand. After the initial surprise, she felt strangely calm. 
Whatever magic or witchcraft was here, she clearly could not escape it by running. Whatever this box portended, the tall stranger had not assaulted her as she feared. Next to that threat, a box full of sorcery was almost bearable. In her ears, a roar like distant wind rose into words. The voice had no clear gender, no recognizable accent beyond a humming monotone. It sounded like the thousands of dead in the catacombs beneath the temple whispering in unison. Stories told of gods adopting physical shapes, even clouds and sandstorms. Do you hear me? The words came into being within her ears, meant only for her. If the tall stranger heard them, he did not react. Yes, she asked no more questions. In the world of dreams, curious things needed no explanation. The tingling sensation which had spread under her clothes to affect her entire body paused on the verge of entering her nostrils. It shifted, intensifying around her ears. Do not be afraid, the voice continued. I have come with a message for you and for all Ronia. It is time for you to reunite with your goddess. She will elevate your city to its rightful place in the cosmos. Will you listen? I will. This answer, twice the length of the first, represented a remarkable step forward in her ability to think. Her eyes turned, searching for something in the mist to focus on. A pause followed. The storm spoke first. What is your name? The man holding the box stood in the same spot, ignored. Envying him greatly, Shada answered in what seemed like a polite tone. Shada. She started to bow but stopped herself. What was the proper way to address the air around you? The mist before her eyes took sudden shape, forming the same face she had seen in the box. It was almost too close to focus her eyes on. She leaned back a little, but the face only moved closer. She took small breaths, not wanting to inhale the particles that formed it. The dimensions of the face twisted, forming a smile. The voice said, let us begin. I will need your help. Are you ready? Shada could imagine few questions she would be less capable of answering just then. Deliberate thought was nearly impossible, deep reflection nearer still. Composing herself, she gave the only answer conceivable when one was confronted with the demands of a god. So that's chapter one. I'm thirsty. Oh, I was like waiting for her answer. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't realize it was over until he said that's the end of chapter one. It's like wait, but <laughs> what does she say? <laughs> Who is the guy? What what yeah, happens? <laughs> there's a lot going on. <laughs> well, she's got to say yes, or else not much else happens. Oh yeah, I mean I was hoping she'd say yes so we'd get more information. <laughs> <laughs> so like, so who is the guy? The the man who's standing there is. Uh, he is uh, a man who has assisted this being in traveling across the universe to find the city of Ronia. Um, and she, the shape in the box is um, a being called the lady who claims to be a messenger from Ronia's lost goddess and who um, will lead them back to their goddess so that she can rescue the city. Um so the guy has been traveling with her for a long, long time, and he uh, serves her very devotedly. Yeah. All right. So why do they have to travel across the universe to get to this city? Did they not know where it was or were they blocked from getting to it? Yeah. <laughs> were they like were they? expelled and, and, and shot mm -hmm. far off into the universe and had to come back? 
that's a good there. I should explain the um the society is interplanetary. Um, okay. Basically it's a it's a low-tech society, um, but it exists in the ruins of a much older one that had portals between planets. Okay. Um, which people could travel. And so they don't understand where the portals came from or, or why they're there, but actual human civilization is spread across many star systems. Do they use the portals? They don't, I mean, doesn't sound like they would if they don't understand them. Well, they, they do use them. They just don't kind of know where they came from. Um, but they figured out that they're handy for getting from, from world to world. And so a sort of interstellar society has formed loosely. Okay. So that's it. All right. So some aliens or some older race left behind these portals, which may or may not be magic, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe sufficiently advanced technology. Um, mm. That's kind of neat. Um, it's given me, I'm getting flashbacks to when I read Relevation Space, the Relevation Space series by um, oh, yeah. Alistair Reynolds. But that's mm-hmm. hard science fiction. But it was the same kind of thing. There was this advanced alien race, and they were they find the artifacts and they're trying to figure stuff out. Um, yeah. There's a whole lot more to it, but um, it it has a similar tone too. So I think that that's why it called my brain made the connection. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but that that's really cool. So who's the civilization that left behind these portals? Well, I'm trying to figure out if it's a spoiler to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, the um, he, uh, humanity used to be um, in the care of gods who have since mm-hmm. vanished. And um, the gods built the portals and built humans basically whatever they wanted on each planet. Um Basically, they were there to provide for humans every need and want, essentially. And so when they vanished, humanity was left behind in a a helpless state. And it was a chaotic time and a lot of people died and and things were terrible. And the time in which the story takes place is when civilization has rebuilt itself somewhat. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's about at a technology level of like maybe 18th century in our world, something like that. So oh, that's it, cool. So you went with the 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 um the advanced civilization, whatever they are, scattered yeah. humanity around for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it's um yeah, there's a long history that uh that um precedes the story, I guess is this epic fantasy. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. It's interesting because it's epic fantasy, but there's it's kind of, but it's an interplanetary epic fantasy, which is really yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. So are we going to see uh, these, I guess, are we going to be traveling to other realms or does this book take place mostly in Ronia? Um, no, th- they leave Ronia uh, pretty f- quickly. <laughs> and um, they, the series is essentially uh, the various worlds that they travel to in their quest. I see. So we see a lot of a lot of wild uh, realms and, and worlds and life forms. I see. So they they hop into the portal. That, and so they, I guess they've someone has mapped out where all these different portals go to, or there's some portals that they don't know where it goes that nobody's gone through. Yeah, different different groups of people, different civilizations know different portions of the network, um, and then there are some that are completely beyond anyone's knowledge. So. Some are some are known and mapped, and some aren't. 
um, which becomes a problem for the the company that goes on this quest because they reach a point where they don't know where they're going next. Um, and each place they get to is kind of a surprise. Yeah. And like with this, the gods gone and who's maintaining the portals or. Well, the, the portals are stable enough to stick around on their own, but the ecosystems of a lot of planets aren't actually, they sort of went haywire after the gods disappeared. And so, um, on a number of places there were ecological disasters and, you know, climates changed and things were born and died and um, mm -hmm. it got real crazy. That's interesting. So, all right. So the portals, how long are the portals going to stick around without some sort of maintenance or is that why the gods are coming back? Presumably, are they coming, or are they coming back because some the planets are failing? <laughs> <laughs> well, presumably they'll, they'll be around indefinitely. Um, okay not i i not really considered them breaking down really so i, I figured they're um it's advanced enough technology that they just hang around long enough to be uh to be effectively forever what um, powers them um magic <laughs> <laughs> this Where do they is, get this the is magic best. from technology basically <laughs> um yeah i think i think they're they're permanent fixtures in in the fabric of space and time okay so they're okay so that that's interesting so they're sort of fuel themselves then. yeah yeah they hang out that's Stay. wild can can could like one of the human characters like gain the power to create their own portal or that's something that's like beyond their ability that would they would never be able to do that's yeah that's beyond their reach um, they wouldn't be able to do that. I think that the knowledge of how to do that has been lost along with other, mm -hmm. a lot of other knowledge um, when the gods disappeared. Um, gotcha. So why did the gods disappear? They just decided on a vacation or? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, that's something that they find out over the course of the stories. So gotcha. that's gotta be, that's in spoiler territory. Um, that, that's Okay. That's mm -hmm. the name of the game. You can you can you don't have to answer any question that gives away too much. <laughs> oh, that's wild. All right. So let's we've we've talked about the portals in the world. So that's good. Dig into the character. So we've got Shada. So mm -hmm. let's so she seems I mean, she, we had a very interesting introduction to her. So <laughs> she seems like a, a, a strong woman. Um, and what have we and who else is you said that it's it's not just her that she's got yeah. sort of a crew so who who else is who does she recruit and how do you um, how, how do you put together a company for a mission like that <laughs> basically the the task of putting together this company um falls under this uh the bishop of what i call the temple which is the main religion of ronia and got, um, got it so the temple offers uh, forgiveness of sins in exchange for whoever volunteers for this mission um, with the understanding that whoever goes may well not come back because they're kind of going into the wild. And so, yeah. um, so the people who sign up are people who are desperate enough to risk death basically for forgiveness for whatever it is they've done. Um, so a lot of them are soldiers. Uh, the one of the main characters is Emberly. He's a captain of Ronia's army, um, and he has his own dark secrets. And uh, he and his soldiers uh, 
are make up a large part of the company and the soldiers who volunteer are generally troubled guys who don't have a lot of they have reason to be desperate enough to to go on this journey basically um do, do we find out what in the course of the story what's their why they decided to go like what motivated them yeah. what dark secrets that's cool yeah that becomes a, a lot of big um a lot of big plot points revolve around people the characters pasts and and what got them into going on this in the first place and you know the the lies that they've told and how those things catch up with them and uh how they have to reckon with the things that they've done oh wow that's pretty cool so and and why does shada go she go, i guess she goes because she met the guy and or she, does she goes, have something in her past that she's trying to get resolved she's kind of an exception because she actually goes because um the lady specifically chooses her to be the new caretaker um mm -hmm. basically to replace the big beast man who we met in that chapter um and so shada is essentially does not really have a choice about going um but the the temple also offers to care for her uh father who is sick and is uh addicted to substances and is more than she can really take care of on her own and so the the chance to have him basically set up for life uh helps motivate her to take on the the quest my own dad is in the hospital not for that <laughs> so i feel i feel the the you know i feel that strongly oh, i'm sorry yeah. no it's he's he's in the 70s he there were things that he could have done earlier in life that to not be where he is and oh, okay. to not do those things. So if you get, so if your doctor tells you make a couple of life changes to avoid kidney failure later, do uh -huh. them. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that, that's a lot of his, his issues right now is, is stemming from that kidney failure and from the dialysis and yeah. Well, okay. He'll be, he'll be, he's got like nine lives. He's, he's, he's the human version of a cat, man. So he'll be okay, but you know, it, being in and out of hospitals is no fun. Oh, it's stressful. And that's kind of the reality when your kidneys don't work anymore and you're depending on machines and, yeah, you know, and they're putting ports in your body to hook those machines up to like a lot can go wrong. Yeah, I've had family members in that situation. It's, um, it's very demanding all the care that they do. It's, it is challenging. Uh, my mother's a saint for getting involved <laughs> for, I mean, he wouldn't be able to do the home dialysis if she wasn't there. I, mm. it's, I haven't seen the machine yet. I haven't been able to get, oh, he only just got it. They only had it. They were only done a couple of sessions before uh, they ran into some serious problems and needed, and they were told to just go to the medical center um, okay. to, and let them and let them evaluate and see what you need and and figure things out. So um, yeah, I'm, so it's you know it's let that you know take care of your health. <laughs> yeah, your doctor says take blood pressure pills to keep your blood pressure low so you don't destroy your kidneys. Please do it. It's <laughs> they're not kidding. It, this is this is not a joke. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not. Yeah, it's it's not a. Yeah, and and it's, it, 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 you know, like looking back, you can see that like it just a couple of minor course corrections, just upping those, that the the blood pressure medication 
you know, he wouldn't have had the, the hemorrhagic stroke, which is a stroke from high blood pressure, which wouldn't have almost taken out his kidneys. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just dominoes from there. So um, if, if anyone out there has, you know, been diagnosed with high blood pressure, please take care of it. It's not a joke. It can do like high blood pressure can do serious harm to your, to your body. So be very careful. Okay, enough on the the medical. Let let's let's get back into the fantasy, which is why we're here. We're here to talk mm-hmm. about summoning and sacrifice. So, why the why did you title it summoning and sacrifice? Because I is, is there a summoning and is there a sacrifice in the book? Yeah, basically the whole it's it's kind of a literal title. Um, mm-hmm. The whole the the characters are summoned together and then they're sent on this journey um, to save their city and essentially are being sacrificed because there's a very high risk of not returning. And so um, summoning a sacrifice, I just like the sound of it has got a, like a nice oh, alliteration nice. and uh, thank you. And then um, it also just has that literal significance of, of those things. And um, it also has those two words also kind of have the connotation of like a ritual, like, you know, a religious, uh, sort of vibe and and that's a, a that's a a vibe and a theme that hangs around the story and so it felt appropriate to include them yeah i saw that the series title is the liturgy of the world which i, <laughs> I like that play on instead of the liturgy of the word which is part of the, the i don't know if it's part of other masses but it's part of, definitely part of the roman catholic mass which is what mm-hmm. i grew up with my mom was yeah. italian that was where we went <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that as liturgy of the world. Um, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, all right. So you, you, in your, I think, it, I think it was in your blurb. You said, the, you said that there's darkness looming. Like, so what is that darkness looming? Is that figurative? Is there like, is that, um, is there like a literal, like, like what, what, it, like I'm picturing like, you know, like the Lord of the Rings with like the actual darkness, you know, moving over yeah. with Sauron to, to, you know, to shield the Urukai. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not how you mean it, but like when I hear darkness <laughs> looms, that's the immediate picture my brain gets. Yeah. <laughs> I blame yeah. Peter Jackson for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the darkness in this case is um, essentially just the crumbling of the society of Ronia. Um, and it's not entirely a bad thing. It's it's an empire that has that rules a lot of worlds, and mm-hmm. so it's um, has not always treated uh, its subject peoples very well. And so the falling apart of that empire through kind of uh, accumulating wars and rebellions, um, it it they're all kind of portents of the decline of that society. Um, and I guess the darkness would just be the, the kind of chaos and ruin that is left whenever things fall apart. Um, even if the, even if the society that did exist was not a great one or not the most moral one, um, still, uh, the falling apart is, is ugly. And so I think the darkness is that, and the hope is that if the goddess returns, that she'll be able to restore Aronia to what it was in its glory days. So are, are these gods and goddesses in your story, sort of like the Greek and Roman ones or like the ones we have that in, in our world where like specific each, each deity has a very specific set of like attributes and abilities. Mm -hmm. They all, 
each one ruled over a separate planet. And so they all kind of develop their own qualities and characteristics. So some, when they appear physically, some prefer to appear as humans, you know, like sort of like the Greek or Roman gods. Um, there's some that are, you know, clouds of, of dust. There's some that are like geometric shapes, you know, it's just all kinds of different, uh, different things that they like to do for their own reasons. Um, and so it's generally it's, but the concept of, of gods, it's like, um, a lot of gods existing side by side. So sort of a pantheon situation. There's not like one almighty God, you know? Yeah. Do they, do they, did they all work together or were, were there like wars between them? Well, um, back in the day, they, they all more or less worked together because they had the same goal, which was to make people happy and to care for them. Uh, and so they, and they had the whole, uh, the whole cosmos to work with to make worlds that people wanted to live in. And so, um, and so essentially there was really no, there was really no way for them to end up across purposes. Um, they just all had their own space and their own room to work. So they, they more or less cooperated. Where did they come from? So they created the humans and the worlds, but where did they come from? The gods? Um, Ronians believe that they created the gods um, out of their own love and out of their own will. Um, basically, uh, Ronians uh, needed a god, and so the goddess appeared. Basically, they they willed her into being with with love, um, and the actual truth of the matter is something that you find out on the way. Okay. Um, yeah, because if they willed her into being out of love, then I don't see a reason why she would have left. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> there has yeah. to be more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's there's more that um, gets uh, gets kind of complex. Does she have a name, the goddess, uh, or any special abilities or anything? Um, her name is is Huira, uh, which is H U I R E. Um, and she's, the Ronians believe her to be the mightiest of the gods. So they have a, a vision of her that's sort of similar to the, maybe the Christian version of an almighty God who's above all the others. Um, so she doesn't have any particular powers per se. Um, but is, uh, all gods have the ability to essentially transform worlds over time to make them what people want them to be. Um, and, they can assume physical form and do whatever their physical form allows them to do. So if they're, they take the shape of a person, they can do people stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, yeah, they, one thing they can't do is they, they can't um, disappear and reappear in a different place. They have to actually physically travel from place to place, um, which there's reasons for that, that, that become apparent. Um, but that's, that's one limitation no that's very cool that's very cool so who, so who founded the city of ronia were they because it sounds like the people existed before the goddess so where did the people come from um the people i imagine i don't think i get into this specifically <laughs> in the book, but i think the people um as the the gods formed worlds for people to live in i think 
this was a place where a lot of gateways happened to converge on this one planet. And so a lot of people congregated here and they formed a society. Um, I see. And so um, that is where eventually what became Ronia um, formed before the gods disappeared, obviously. And then um, became probably, probably took on the name of Ronia afterwards in the centuries of history that followed. Interesting. So, so did the gateways, the, the portals exist, the portal network exists before the planets or the, the planets were there and then they built the, the gate, the gateways between them afterwards. Cause you, what you just said, it sounded like the portals existed first. Yeah, no, sorry. They didn't exist first. The planets existed first. And then the, um, the gods uh, traveled from planet to planet and built the portals as they went um, to take, to, to allow people to follow them easily. That's interesting. So, so it, it sounds like the gods and goddesses didn't, didn't, Oh, didn't rule over just one world is if they're wandering around making portals to other ones, then they may have had more than one world that they were watching over. Yeah. I think they, they got it in their heads that it was an act of service to humanity to um, create and alter a lot of different planets for people to live in. And so um, they, went from world to world doing that and people were happy to oblige and follow and, you know, uh, live in whatever conditions they saw fit to live in based on the, the planet that they decided to settle in. No, that's interesting. It's, it's the, it's, it's interesting because it, it, if you wanted to protect humanity and ensure that it survives, spreading them out across many worlds is how you would do it. Yeah, <laughs> Not collect yeah. everyone all in one place <laughs> like we currently have. Right. <laughs> Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So, so that leads, you know, why do they want to protect humanity like that? Is there something special or specific to humanity that, that, that it needs to survive? Um, I mm -hmm. guess if they willed a God into existence, they need people to believe in them. Yeah. I think the gods, basically the, the, the gods, the, they came into existence. Part of the conditions of their existence was they are things that serve people. Um, so it just was one of the starting kind of principles by which they operate. So it's not, they don't really have a particular reason for wanting it, except that it, wanting that as part of what they are. Um, so that's just what they do. No, that's really interesting. Is there any, you want to talk about any of the other worlds? We've talked about Ronia. Is there any other interesting world or interesting features uh, that you want to talk about? Or are they all spoilers until we get there um, in the series? Yeah, they're kind of all, they're kind of all uh, spoilers. Um, Captain Emberly and his soldiers, um, before leaving on this expedition, they served on a world called Galabraith. Um, and it's a heavily forested place uh, where the local people are in a state of rebellion and are essentially fighting a guerrilla war against uh, Ronian occupation. And so um, the captain and his soldiers have just been through this very traumatic, almost like Vietnam-like experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really shaken them up and hurt a lot of them, you know, mentally and physically. And so they're in a position both not to not want to put themselves in more jeopardy, but also in a position of, of feeling desperate, many of them, because they have done things that they really want forgiveness for. 
or um, are feeling the need to to perform some great act to redeem themselves or to to make their lives have meaning. Oh wow, that's that's wild. That that's 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 that would be a, a difficult situation fighting a war like that, a guerrilla war like that. Yeah. Especially if it's more, especially if you're not sure if you're on the right side because of some of the things that your side is doing, that can that can really I could see why someone volunteer for a mission they may not come back from. You might be in a situation yeah. where you're not sure you want to be continuing to live, so leaving mm. it up to fate whether you survive this or not would yeah I can that's wow that's deep yeah totally I think that you know the. Um, you know, trauma can push people and, you know, guilt can push people to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah. So I think, a, you know, a certain number of the people in Emberly's company um, saw this as a way to find some kind of satisfaction or meaning. Yeah. And and that was put Shada in an interesting position because she's dealing with a lot of emotionally and fragile people that are on mm -hmm. this like quest and, 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 you know, and they're carrying around a lot of emotional baggage and probably a lot of PTSD um, in this in this search that's and going from like sort of a military situation to, OK, we are searching for something and we are not in a military situation. We're not fighting people. We are looking for clues. We're piecing together a mystery that that's must be that's a lot of mental gymnastics. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, she um, and what complicates it is that Shada is also um she's not technically an off-worlder, but her mother was from a different planet. Um, and her mother was from a, another planet on which um, the people there have decorative markings on their faces. And uh, so Shada inherited her mother's decorative markings, but kind of in a faded smeared version. So they don't look quite as perfect as her mother's did. Um, they look kind of like like a bit like a smudged painting kind of. And so um, she walks around with this reminder to everyone that she's not from, that her, she has ancestry, not of Ronia. And that, um, that is something that affects her life, you know, daily. And that everyone around her, including the people on this journey are also reminded of all the time. Oh, wow. That's got to be in interesting when if they go to that world where her mother is from and, and she has the smudge marks and they don't having that per having that perfection in your face all the time could be that could be very difficult to handle. Hmm. That would be. Yeah, they don't go there, but that that would be. <laughs> oh, they should. Missed opportunity. Well, yeah, it, it's exactly. how many books are going to be in the series? Maybe you've still got time. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's four total. So I, I think I'm, I think I'm out of time. Maybe if. Uh, I don't know, maybe a prequel. Hey, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of, it, you've got this huge, you, you've got universes and you know, you've got a whole universe full of planets and gateways and things. It, is is this the only series that you're going to be writing in this world? Um, for now, yeah. Uh, we'll see how the series goes and how it's received. Um, but I think I... I've been working on these stories since like 2011. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm feeling the urge to do other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you know, if things, if, if it goes really well and if I'm feeling like I have enough material in terms of creativity wise, um, 
to work with, then then that would be something I'd consider. Yeah. No, that's very cool. So, all right. So there's going to be four books in the series and it sounds like you're finishing up the fourth book. Yeah, I have them all done in draft form. Um, but I, I'm currently kind of deep in revisions of book three. Uh, and so that's, that's like, what's like my whole, I actually had to go back and skim this book before this conversation. Cause my whole, my head is just so in book three. Um, Oh man, but, we could have uh, got some spoilers out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it as I was talking. I was like, is this, uh, when did we find this out? Um, but yeah, so after book three, then I'll, I'll revise book four and then publish them. Yeah, I think I saw that book three is coming out July 31st. Is that this year or next year? Um, book three should be, oh, book two, I'm sorry, came out July 31st. Oh, book two came, okay, so, okay, mm -hmm. so Hymns of the Wild is book two, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So book three we're looking at for next year, and book four? That's gonna, book three is gonna come out at the end of November. Um, okay. In, in four months, and then book four, four months after that. Um, okay. I've kind of set myself to that schedule to, to commit myself to the keeping things moving here. Um, and, uh, you know, hoping to keep, well, I'll definitely keep that pace up, but then, you know, we'll see after that. No, it's a sustainable pace. I do three, uh, four books per year. Although the oh. 2020 during the pandemic, cause I was working from home. I, for my day job, there was no commuting. It was fabulous. It was wonderful. Right I did, mm -hmm. I wrote six books in a year cause oh, wow. I wasn't spending, you know, over to, you know, two, to three hours a day commuting so i wrote <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah i know three to four is about the speed uh, closer to three than four with uh with with us going back to the office more days but it seems to be a, a cadence that it's you know if you it, it's it's a cadence that like if you have to miss it if you can't write one day because you're working late or something then it doesn't yeah. throw things off um like it does if you're trying to finish a book every two months, then you right, yeah, take time. That's, that's a yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's just not a reality at the moment. I would love to, but that's not a reality at the moment. So yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I'm with you on the the four months in between books. It's it's much more doable if you're not doing this full time. Mm -hmm. It feels it feels like a sustainable pace. I'm still yes. studying with this that I'm kind of learning what is sustainable, but I'm guessing that that's sustainable. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been doing that for years, and for me, it is definitely sustainable. Like I said, like I have a full time job that so, mm -hmm. and with the commute, and sometimes you know, especially like in the winter time when there's I live in the Northeast, so there's no, you know, no. it could it if there's a snowstorm, it can take me over four hours to get home. And <laughs> by the oh, time wow. I get home, I need to go to sleep because I have to get up at six to go back and do this all over again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's so on, on a night like that, I wouldn't be able to write or like the time that mm -hmm. I got uh, into a car accident, trying to get out of the city where I work oh, and goodness. ended up like my car was just stuck and I just had to stay um, with a coworker and, you know, I wasn't able to do any, I did a little bit of writing on my phone, but I really, it was just not like trying to get the repairs, trying to figure out how I'm going to get to work. How am I going to get home from work? Because, you know, how am I going to get the car to a garage? Like trying to like, just, just all the logistics and, you know, and checking up on family. Cause it was a blizzard of course that hit oh, yeah. at four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm in a meeting. <laughs> so, oh, <wow. laughs> yeah. So like it's, 
yeah so th- like it, at least like when you're with four months in between books it, it like gives you if there's like you know oh my god i just can't you know you can you can take you can have those days where you're just like i just can't there's just something is going on and i'm just it's i want to write but there are not enough hours in the day and i have other things you know yeah i have to sit in traffic for four hours you know <laughs> trying yeah. to get home or something um I never to I do imagine- that again <laughs> I imagine uh, that's not very conducive to creativity if you're worried about getting your car fixed and sleeping over at some place. But yeah, it's 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 awkward. Like and and yeah, and and so for me, like the I I, w- I want to be more three months every three months a book, but reality is like you know my father was rushed to the hospital a couple of days ago and right. I spent almost two hours trying to see him yesterday only the the, the road was all blocked off because they're doing construction and i was finally forced to just give up and call and be like oh. i love you dad i'm sorry i just yeah. i can see the hospital but i phys- i just cannot drive to it yeah that was so, yeah i didn't really get any writing done last night because of that i was mm. like but it, it, do that kind of cadence if you have something like that you know and and if writing is not a full-time gig you know that that can happen at least like once a week something could pull you away or leave you with not enough time to get much done because you've got other you're juggling other things um so yeah it, i mean depending on your process like i i think four to i think four months is sustainable yeah that's good i feel yeah i feel like it's good to have some as you were saying some room in there for things yeah. to go wrong and uh for life to happen and throw wrenches into the process um and I'm still sort of figuring out what my process is and how to do stuff like make, you know, make print books, stuff like that, like things that I just don't know. And I have to research yeah. as I go. So um, that uh, it's, it's really helpful to have that extra padding of time. Yes. Yes. And I recommend not putting it on pre-order until you're um, until it's, until you're like close to done. And you know that even if like everything goes wrong, you know, life throws five wrenches at you that you can still make it because <laughs> mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. kind of stress that that comes with that, like, can be unreal. So be oh, kind yeah. to yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it's it's um, just starting out. You don't really have readers waiting so mm-hmm. you can it's a little less pressure because there's not, you know, an audience expecting it. But I imagine particularly once you get once you really get a readership, it's like man the pressure I yeah I, I yeah and i'm that type a personality that if i commit to something like i will kill myself to make it <laughs> so uh yeah. now i don't i don't do that anymore until i'm like absolutely certain that this will be that it'll be done a few days before this date then i'll put it up for pre-order um okay. so that way like if life goes wrong i've got like a couple of days maybe a week of grace yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so, all right. So book one is out. Book two is out. Book three is on the way and book four is on the way. And maybe there'll be a prequel. Yeah. A possible prequel. We'll see <laughs> if I can, if I can muster the inspiration. Yeah, um, no, that would be cool. If not, you know, you've got other, um, it sounds like you've got other worlds in your mind to play with. Yeah. I've, Kind of as I'm going through this, I'm sort of developing what the next thing's going to be, and um, trying to get that in 
reasonable shape so I can sort of hit the ground running when it, when I'm done with these books. Um, and so it's, it's going to be good. I think, I think it'll be, um, a lot smoother of a, of a process because I, like, I won't take like 10 years to write it <laughs> this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, liturgy of worlds was something that I really began with no particular desire to market to any particular audience or to, to know, you know, what the, what the tropes that readers are, they're in demand are or things like that. And so I, you use a, a lot of sci-fi tropes. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, I, you're, you're using a lot of like sci-fi tropes, the whole yeah. like benevolent elder race, the whole spreading <laughs> humanity and uh, lots of relics that from left behind by ancient civilization that no one knows quite what they are, or what they do. I mean, these are, these are some, yeah, there's a lot of sci-fi. I didn't hear too many of the fantasy tropes. I heard a lot of the sci-fi ones. You're pretty, we, 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 I was literally just mentally going down the list and just checking them off. So it's kind of a borderline case, really. It's a little, it's a little difficult. Like I, I, I definitely knew there were a lot of sci-fi elements, and so it's. I was like, how do I, what do I call this? And ultimately, I decided that the structure of the story, the the quest. Um, the gods and uh, this, you know, journey through realms and um, the low tech, you know, swords and kind of swords and, and flintlock uh, weaponry and, and technology level all said fantasy to me. So yeah. that's, that's why I went with that. Have you, uh, if, you should look into, uh, I think, what's his, uh, uh, I think Peter, uh, no, what's his name? He did the, um, God, I can't think of the name of it. But he does like science, science fiction, like fan, like fantasy, like low, low tech, mm -hmm. but like lot, like fantasy elements. I can't. I'm gonna have to look him up after the podcast because like I read a whole bunch of his books, and this was like, um, this was definitely pinging it. Um, and uh, what is Speed it? Or yeah, something? Damn, it's uh, I can't think Dan of the Simmons? name of it. Sam Simmons is one of them. He was the other one I was thinking of because he has the um, it, my favorite duology, Ilium and Olympus, which is oh. like this postmodern society. They decide they think they they decide that they are gods and they recreate the Trojan uh -huh. War on Mars, and then and, and just it's wild. Oh, wow. And uh -huh. um, and and some of the people they bring back like realize that something is going on here. This is not the real Trojan War, like. Mm -hmm. It gets pretty wild, but he does actually have science fiction elements in there. There are these like my favorite like robots in all of sci-fi are in there. Oh. Who they're like argue about Shakespeare and Proust. I I adore <laughs> them. Um, and they're out like by Saturn or something, and they've lost touch with humanity. And they decide if they argue about literary stuff uh, that maybe they should go check it out. Maybe they should build a solar sail, and they have to figure out how to do this. They decide on a solar sail, and that they should go back to Earth and figure out like well, why haven't they heard from from their masters in a while they're like this hmm. is not you know they're they're pretty self-sufficient but they like they love human culture and they need humans to keep producing it so they can argue about it because they'll have their particular thing that they're like into and they're like like hyper fixated on and um so yeah it's 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 wild but he also has the um which i also love was the um can't the um it's four books um hyperion, hyperion the fall of hyperion 
Endymion. I forgot what the fourth one is called. And those have there's 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 sci-fi. There's a lot of fantasy elements. Mm-hmm. I think it's Ham- Peter Hamilton. I'm gonna like Google him right now. Like Hyperion is one of my favorite books, and like that that duology, I really love. Um, I think it's yes. Okay, it's Peter F. Hamilton. He writes. Uh, he has. Uh, it's Judas Unchained is the second one. I can't think of the first one. Um, he he's done a whole lot of like science fiction fantasy um, um, sort of mashed together. Um, yeah. Like he has the Void trilogy. Um, I, I Judas Unchained is not the first book in the series. Come on. Um, because that was it's the Commonwealth saga. Um, and yeah, he's got a whole bunch of stuff. So he might be uh something to check out, especially like he always has like a like a epic fantasy like subplot. <laughs> mm. <laughs> He'll have some other stuff that is recognizably like 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 science fiction, but like not like there might, there might be living in the far future, but it seems more like fantasy than science fiction. And there'll be right. like pu- cyberpunk elements <laughs> uh-huh. um, on, on one thread. And then there's this whole giant thing that's literally epic fantasy, like straight out of the, the thing, epic fantasy. Yeah. Um, searching for gods, that that that's a big thing in there. Um, especially like, was it Dreaming Void? I think, I don't remember the, the first book, but um, there it's, yeah, and he has, I believe he also has the alien uh, civilization leaving stuff around. Um, but something to look into, because those could be, like, potential, like, like comp authors or um, something. That oh, cool. fans of those might be, I, from what I'm hearing, they would be interested. Um, yeah. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah, I, you know, I think I almost read one of those books this summer. I think that was almost my beach read. And I, I think I went with something else, but that sounds like something I really like. Cause yeah. It, the idea of, of an ancient alien civilization that left a lot of artifacts lying around and people are investigating them sounds really familiar to me. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't think that was the, the Commonwealth. I don't think that was the Commonwealth saga. I think it's the Void trilogy that was the, the alien artifacts um, with, with Araminta and uh, I love that name. I, I know, I'm pretty sure she was in there. Um, yeah, so just some... and. It, it's a it's a really cool premise. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it and it hits a lot of like the the sci fi tropes that people that are, I think are I mean that I like. <laughs> um, it also kind of has the Dune feel because Dune was yeah. Dune is more fantasy than science fiction. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I've read the original six Dune books. They're fantasy. There's yeah. very little science in there, and you really have to like like pull out the you know magnifying glass to look for it yeah. um it, it is very like fantasy dude. seeing the future and you know the spice and folding yeah. spice is all very oh did, did you very... read god emperor of dune when like he becomes the sandworm Spoiler i have alert <laughs> well I, I knew that happened i haven't gotten to god emperor yet i've read the first three um I'm, I'm working my way there over a period of many years. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the fourth one. It happens. Yeah. It's pretty, I didn't like that. One. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that part is kind of neat, but hmm. getting to it was uh, not one of my favorite books. I also I didn't it's like it's a lot book. of philosophical discussions and things like that. In yes. Yes. Yeah. I liked, um, 
like Chapter House Dune, and I liked I like Chapter House Dune more. That yeah. was with more about the Benny Gesserit, and um, it's the whole thing comes full circle. So Dune gets destroyed; they create a new Dune. Like it, it's kind of cool. I know people don't like the the fifth and the sixth books, but I liked them because you see uh-huh. Dune as a character. Mm. It, it was a character all the way through, but in the last couple, the last two, it's it's more evident because it just because of the politics and everything going on, uh, because they and the spice also because they they need the spice, you need the sandworms, and it, you know, yeah, it's just it, it's 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 very neat how the whole thing becomes a cycle. Um, I don't want to give away too many spoilers because it's it's very cool, but it's not the easiest read. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I'll I'll get to the. The last three in the in the series, one of these days, um, I've got them most of them on my shelf, so I, I, I've got to read them. But um, yeah, I really I, I reread Dune and, and Dune Messiah this year in hopeful preparation to get all the way through the series because I I read them so long ago that I just would be starting from scratch basically from I, I remembered so little, um, and then uh, I guess also maybe they're making more Dune movies after this new one that's coming out so oh probably i mean the, yeah. this one did very well um, yeah. even though they did it in two parts um i would hope that the next one they don't do in two parts or if, if mm-hmm. get the two parts closer together because you know? yeah. <laughs> like wasn't there like two years in between um feels like it yeah i don't know i i didn't see the first dude because it was like i'm gonna it's it's only half and I was like, right. I, I'm going to wait until the whole thing, and then I'll just watch the whole thing. Uh, I found out it was the first half in the theater. <laughs> I oh. was so like, man, they're really going to gonna put a lot of stuff into two hours. And then it was like Dune Part 1. I was like, oh, oh I, that yeah. explains stuff. I saw some of the trailer. I was like, there's no way this is the whole thing. Yeah. And then I heard it was only for, so I was like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I like, figured that. I was like, wait, where's Fade Rautha? Is he showing up at some point? Yeah. It's just, yeah. just the trailer. Like, cause they, they I noticed, cause you know, in the trailers lately, like uh, the, over the course of the time that I have been alive, trailers went from like showing you like cool stuff, but leaving some things to the imagination to mm-hmm. let's show you all the things in two minutes that are in the entire movie. So that when you get <laughs> there, there's, you, there's no, there's, you've seen all the coolest parts already in the trailer. And yeah. and all the cool everything in there was like only from the first half of the book, and I was like, "There's no way." Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm really misremembering the book, there is no way this is the entire Dune story. Yeah, so, like nobody. If nobody rides a sandworm in the trailer, that's that's know. that's what gave it away. That was the thing when I didn't <laughs> see anybody riding a sandworm. I was like, "This is not the whole movie." Because if it was, that that's what the trailer would have been all about the sandworms, like them mm-hmm. riding it. You know the you know the the dramatic like re- coming to the city. Um, you know when he's coming to overthrow the emperor. And st- like there would have been stuff from the other second half of the book if they yeah. did the whole movie. There would not have been as much at the beginning. Like they, you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. they just there would have been scenes from the second half and there wasn't. So I was like, yeah. something's not adding up. <laughs> yeah, I, so, I didn't even think about that. That's that's funny. But, yeah. yeah, I studied that trailer, man. I was like. <laughs> So I was like, I, so I've you seen, still haven't seen the the first Dune movie? 
No, but I've read the book, so I know what happens. Right. And I saw the Dune, you know, the sci-fi channel at one point did a Dune, did like the Children of Dune. I don't remember. Yeah. I think they also did Dune. I don't remember. But, um, and I saw the 1980 version of Dune, like years later. I didn't see it in the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> I was too young. But um, yeah, and I've read the book, so I know what happens. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I will see both parts when the second one is out. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be like a double feature. Yeah. I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to do that, but the second one's not out yet, so I don't have to worry. (laughs) That's a to be continued because I think it comes out next year. It's like 2024. That sounds right. Yeah. I don't think it's coming out this year. Mm. A lot of stuff is 2024. Rings of Power is 2024. I haven't seen Rings of Power. Um, I, I like things about it. I like a lot of the, I like the Amazon original characters a lot. Uh, some of the characters that some of Tolkien's characters, I don't particularly like what they did with. Um, they don't like what they did with Mithril. It's totally, there's a lot of things that are lore breaking, but they're not lore breaking for like good entertaining reasons. They're kind of, you, you see it and you're like, this totally breaks the lore for no apparent reason. There's no gain. Like we're just, they just decided, you know what? We're going to break the lore for nothing. And yeah. that was kind of annoying because I was like, if you're going to break the lore and, and they don't follow through on it. So they uh. break the lore on a couple of things, but then that would have implications and they don't, they don't deal with it. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Like, like they changed the origin. Mithril is just a pretty rock. It doesn't do any, it doesn't have magical powers. It's, it's a pretty rock. It's strong if you make something out of it. That's literally it. And they add all this mystical nonsense on top of it. Uh-huh. And then don't follow through on it. And I was like, um, Frodo had a mithril shirt. If you're going to continue with all this mystical nonsense, you know, it, it's... And they there was a lot of callbacks to the movies. Hmm. Like, uh, like, too much. Okay. Like, things that just didn't, like... They just kept like it was weird. It was like the the movies happened three thousand years later. Why, how can you call back to something that mm-hmm. didn't happen yet? Like yeah. that was the whole like it, it was twisting my brain up. I was like, they're like they're repeating lines, and there's it was a mystery box format. Like who you no. know who is this who who is the the man who fell from the sky? Who is there's a lot of like who is and and. You know, you're supposed to be wondering who is Sauron. And it's like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, but I liked, there were things that I really liked. I, I really liked the, um, uh, I can't think of his name, the the Black Elf. He was very cool. And um, I liked Durin and Disa, the the dwarf couple. They were very cool. And um, Nazarene, Nazarene, uh, Bon- Bonani? Bonani? I can't think of her I can't get her name right but she was um, one of the southern the Southland uh, villagers she was very good just a lot of really th- these are all like the like characters Amazon made up they were very good very true to like the world very good for some mm-hmm. reason Tolkien's characters they like did weird things with I don't get it um, yeah, that's, that's interesting you think it would be the opposite like that was the whole thing that left me confused. So like, I, I'm not like, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm not sure about like season two. Like there was just, it, I don't know. It's, mm. it was very weird. Um, 
I, I'm I'm not sure what they're gonna follow it up with in season two. Like they they did so many weird, so many weird things. Is it the uh, story of the Silmarillion, basically? No. So at the end, all they have um, the rights to is the Lord of the Rings trilogy and and the appendices in the um, Lord of the Rings. So if you go, if you look at the appendices, there's a um, Tolkien included a uh, summary of you know what happened before the Lord of the Rings, like the like um, that. So um, Sauron came to the elves uh, in the form of this beautiful stranger. His name was Anatar. So the Lord, so the people who wrote, made the Rings of Power, which is supposed to be about the making of the Rings of Power, just kind of ignored this and did their own thing. Mm. And, and it was like what Tolkien had was pretty darn cool. Like this guy deceives yeah. the elves, and uh, you know, and, and there's the whole thing about the ring making. The, the ring making was literally like 15 minutes in the last episode, and I was like, the, the, the title of the show is the Rings of Power. Yeah. Why did because we spend? All these episodes, no rings. Yeah, it was just very weird. When when the makers feel the need to, I'm not sure to to like make their own mark or, or to adapt for like make changes for the sake of it. I'm not sure, but it. I don't know. That's that's yeah. the part that I could not figure out. Is like, if they were trying to put their own stamp on it, they didn't really they didn't do that because there was so much callbacks to Lord of the Rings, which will happen in three thousand years from this point. <laughs> <laughs> None of, most of those characters in the Lord of the Rings do not exist yet. Yeah. Their ancestors don't really exist yet. Like it's like a it's, flash forward, I guess. It's weird. <laughs> it's like like repeating verbatim lines from the Peter Jackson movies. Like huh. that kind of it was just very strange. Um and I'm I'm of two minds about season two. I am curious what they're going to do with it, but at the same time, like if I never watched another episode, I don't think I'd be missing anything because mm -hmm. it doesn't really follow the lore and the lore is better. <laughs> a lot. There's some good stuff in the Rings of Power show, but it's, you know, it's the new original characters. They could have done like their own epic fantasy show with their own original characters and story. And I think that would have been better. Mm. Um, okay. You know, I don't know, but like, you know, it's something you'd have to watch yourself and see what you think. It's, it's 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 also it's very slow and they throw a lot of stuff at you in the, in the first couple of episodes and some of it is not lore accurate okay and and some of it you're like why are you throwing all this at us like it's why are, it's it's about the rings of power let's just concentrate on the elves and have sauron come to them as a mysterious stranger and get them to make the rings of power like that's what I expected it to be about. And that was that's not the, at all what it was about. You know? Yeah. I, I think the show just couldn't figure out what it wanted to be. I think that's the problem. Season one just didn't know what it wanted to be, where it wanted to go. Even though that the title is the rings of power, like that should have been a really big clue. Like what we need to be doing here. <laughs> but mm -hmm. that, I don't know. It's, I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah. it's not, it's not, coming back till 2024 they're shooting it now or something so i have lots of time to decide and mm -hmm. I, if i do watch it i think i'm gonna wait till all the episodes are out for it i'm not gonna it strung me along and played with my mind last time around i'm not giving it that power yeah i might wait until i see some reviews or hear about it and if it sounds like it's very mixed not, i'll get around the, the, to it. the reviews are very mixed and i know a lot of people who've um uh, 
who aren't who you know that this was their first introduction to Tolkien's works. Some of them really like it. Some of them uh, um, that uh, of people that I personally know are just very confused and very turned off by the first episode because it was it was not it's there's a way that you bring in new fans and there's a way that you don't and they did it in the way that you don't it was info dump the whole it was a giant info dump with pretty pictures um and that for someone who's has nothing to do with Tolkien and and an angry you know character and that it wasn't it was a very abrasive way of bringing someone in to the to the show to the series so um and and it hurts me to say that because Galadriel is like one of my favorite characters. You, but not the version of her in the show. Yeah, it's something that's pretty tricky to do. To because I I know the Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings start with a prologue that I really felt fine with, even though oh it was, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, that was like cool. And they, I mean, I guess they included uh, some cinematic bits of you know Sauron throwing people around and, and they made it really entertaining. Um, yeah, it was, easy e- yes, it was easy to follow. It was good versus evil. And yeah. it was not that it's not really that long. It's only a couple of minutes, but mm-hmm. the beginning of the rings of power, they're talking about like, there's, they start out in, in, um, uh, whatchamacallit, not Valeria, the, um, Undying Lands. They start out with where the, the, I can't think of the name of it, uh, where the elves started before they came to Middle Earth. I can't think of the name of it right now. And um, and then we we go into this montage of like everything in the Silmarillion that they can't really like because they don't have the rights to Silmarillion. So right. like 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 pictures that represent and they they could they don't have the rights to Silmarillion. So they ha- they come up with their own thing. And I'm like, this is not necessary. Like nobody it's not something that you need. The rings of power is supposed to be about the ring, the making of the rings of power. You could have just started with them in Eregion, you know, the elves live in their best life and, and, and this beautiful stranger comes and convinces them to make some rings of power. And we yeah. go, from, like, we, we could have just gone from there, you mm-hmm. know, like, and that would have been really interesting. Like, how do you fool the elves? Like, who, you know, if people have read mm-hmm. it, they'd know that he's sour on people who didn't would be like, oh, who is this guy? And what's his, what's his angle? Yeah. And and suppose and Galadriel suspected him from the beginning, but like, you know, people didn't really have any concrete proof and people didn't weren't gonna listen to her. So like there there was you know, you could have had this interesting thing showing that the elves are fallible, which is the whole point of the rings of power, like in that the Tolkien had written to show that the elves are not perfect. They're fallible. They're they're um and and he that they totally missed that. And mm-hmm. and they went in a whole other direction and like it just I it, from the people that I know who'd never had anything to do with anything of Tolkien, like they found that very off-putting the first couple episodes, very hard to follow. Um, and I, I've read the Silmarillion and I found it hard to follow it. I've, I've actually read it. Like yes. I read it before the show came on and like, I still was not sure about some things. Um, so it was just like weird. That's a really common issue that people have with people who don't like epic fantasy a common issue is it's just too many names getting thrown at them and too much. There's just too much to absorb. And yeah. like, I guess that, I mean, a certain amount of that is just kind of part of doing business. It's just the genre, but it's, it's 
better to make it accessible to people if you want a lot of people to like it. <laughs> well, there, there's uh, a, a way to do that so that it doesn't hit people. And yeah. they didn't really like, like with the prologue for the Lord of Rings, like it's very easy to follow. It's good versus evil. There were some rings. This, mm -hmm. this guy made a master ring to control all the other people using the rings. Okay, now we've got a problem. We need to get this master ring away from this guy. Like it was super easy, like to yeah. follow. But the way the Rings of Power went was there. It's because the Silmarillion, the wars and everything against um, Melkor. Like some of that just is. It's very disjointed and on its own. The Silmarillion and some of it, like there's hundreds of years in between, and some of it doesn't. It's not always clear. Like why they were going to war. Like Melkor just said, "Hey, I'm just going to attack you. I'm going to sack your city for." <laughs> reasons um so trying to compress all that into a couple of minutes when like when when someone reading it and like no shade on on Togi's son like he did an amazing job turning this his father's notes because his father never completed this yeah. and trying to make this into an in into some kind of a narrative it's not a cohesive narrative it's a silmarillion there's there's parts yeah. and things and but it's not one giant cohesive narrative and they didn't have the rights to it. And they tried to make some kind of cohesive thing out of it. But it's like, it was very pretty, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, Hey, we have some rings. There's a master ring. This really evil dude has the master ring and he can control us. And he's trying to take over the world. Like that was a very easy thing to follow. And that's, yeah. they didn't do something. They didn't try They didn't make it as clear cut in there. And instead they were, it, I'm not sure what they were trying to do. And I don't think it was necessary. I think you could cut all of that. You could cut most of the first episode and it would not have affected anything. You don't need any of that information. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I like it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, give it, give it a watch and, and see what you think, because like, I, I read a lot of fantasy and, and a lot of it, like it's very accessible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, we don't, we don't throw too many things at people. You, you bring them in. And yeah. I mean, and the first scene you see, like you see the, the, the elves and they're real brats. Like you don't have any empathy for them. <laughs> and, and then to see the summarization of them at war and losing people. And you're like, I, I didn't like them in scene one. Like, yeah. Like, why do I, why do I care now? Yeah, that's it. Like, and, and that's, and I think that's the reason that people had problems with that, with that first episode is because, mm -hmm. because of the, your entry point did not get you any empathy. It made you not like the characters. And then to hear all about their struggles and the moving people like, well, I didn't like them, so I don't care. So you, yeah. you have no emotional investment. Yeah. Um, it's not, yeah, that's not how stories are supposed to work. Well, that's it. They just, I think they just wanted a montage of pretty images. I, and, and, that's what it feels like. And they're like, okay, we need to put some kind of voiceover on here. So it makes some kind of sense. Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how it felt. It is very beautiful. It's visually stunning, but that's, there's no, it's not really any like depth to it beyond that. It's just very pretty. And that's a lot of the rings of power was that it was very pretty, but there just wasn't, it, there wasn't always reasons for some of it. And there, it just, some of it just like you, you, you look at it and you're like, why, why are they doing that? Or like the, the Numenorians like, I think elves are taking their jobs. Like I like <laughs> they're literally chanting that. Like I was like, no, this is the Numenorians want long life. They're jealous of the elves because they live almost forever. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. They they don't think elves are coming for their jobs. Yeah. Like like this, this decisions like that. Like it's like, did you even read the source material? Mm -hmm. Um oh man. Yeah. Um <laughs> 
that yeah I'll, I'll check it out at some point even if only yeah. for the visuals because i think that this like the only thing that token has really been movies and tv have really done well by token in terms of the visuals and yes. like the way stuff looks because it's always beautiful even if it's a yes. bad movie or tv show it's always like something i could just watch just to see it you know no, it, it is visually stunning. I do have to give it that. And the Amazon original characters are really good, but they're not tied to whatever the writers were trying to do with the actual token characters. <laughs> I'm not really. So, like, and, and I feel bad because the actors who were playing like Elrond and Galadriel and they, they were hampered by some very strange writing. And they're really good actors, but they were just, you know, yeah. I feel you know, and and I'm I'm gonna get off my soapbox because I could keep talking about this forever. Like I'm a I'm a huge Tolkien nerd, um, but we are not here to talk about that. <laughs> so let's let's bring it back to to the summoning and the sacrifice. Um, we're summoning and sacrifice. There's no the in the title. Um, so yeah, so you can check it out. It is it's widely available it's not just it's not in kindle unlimited i think i saw that it's, yeah. it's across everywhere uh and as well as a sequel and mm -hmm. yeah it gets your portal hopping low-tech magical mm -hmm. fun on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> science fantasy maybe whatever whatever you want to call it yeah. um yeah, totally. Save some uh, gods. Why <laughs> <laughs> it's on Barnes and Noble and uh, Kobo and everywhere you'd want to get it. Um, I don't know. I don't know when this show will come out. Um, book, uh, tonight book? or tomorrow? Oh, okay. Um, it book, it all depends on how fast it uploads. <laughs> yeah. um, book one is ninety nine cents until the eighth. Oh. So it's a good time to to jump on that, and then you can dive right into the second one. Nice. Yeah. So everybody go out and do that. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic having you. Anything else you want to say about summoning and sacrifice or mm. hymns of the wild or um, the liturgy of the worlds, which is the coolest series title. <laughs> Thank you so mind. much. Um, well, if you don't, if you don't want to commit to a whole book, um, I have a uh, free short story called a monster's war. Um, that's available. If you sign up on my website, um, and that's a really fun uh, short story involving that big beast man who we met earlier on. Uh, and it's got a lot of action. And so that's a really good, uh, fun place to start. So you check that out also. Is Do we find out how he gets the, the goddess in the box, the lady in the box? Um, you uh, Sort of. You find out how they meet. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's cool. All mm -hmm. right. And this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Nathan. You're welcome back anytime. And we can Thank talk about so. another book <laughs> <laughs> and not talk about Definitely. the Lord of the Rings. We will, or do, we will, we will stay on topic better next time. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> it's been a long work day. Always good to talk about Dean. Oh, I could talk about books all day long. So, yeah. yeah. So if you like Dan Simmons or if you like Peter F. Hamilton's Void series, then summoning and sacrifice might be for you mm -hmm. no i'm gonna be getting a copy because i happen to like both of those. Yeah. <laughs> i i might be the target reader yeah <laughs> we should we need to put a little like target symbol over me whenever that happens <laughs> yeah it's happened a few times people come on and this guy i'm like really i think yeah. i'm your target reader <laughs> 
tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for coming. Thank and you. this has been another episode of Fantasy Lore and More. And today we were talking with Nathan Hartle about summoning and sacrifice. And we'll be back to with another episode soon with another fantasy author and another fantasy book. Have a great day or a great night, depending on where you are. That'll do it for this episode. <laughs>